0: back to the Your Life, Your Way community. I'm your host, Kathleen McDermott. Your life, your way. Feeling safe, being you, guilt-free. Living life on your terms, no longer living how the rest of the world thinks that you should, no longer being and doing how the rest of the world thinks that you should. Gives you the freedom to build a new and powerful legacy for yourself and your children if you have them. And speaking of children, we are diving into a topic that is actually going to be a two-parter. It was so fascinating to me that I said, we have to come back and, and, and talk more. How much do we really talk about pregnancy and childbirth? You know, we celebrate, we support others, but what is beyond the joy? What is sometimes happening beyond the joy? I wanted to bring this topic to the forefront because I had never heard of it in all my years, never heard of it. And of course, my feeling was women are going through this and they're not talking about it. They're feeling alone, they're suffering, and they're not talking about it. Now, some yes, some are, but I guarantee there are many that are not. And my whole point is I do not want women to feel alone. I want this topic to be brought to the forefront and I, if I can help as many women as possible to know that they are not alone and to seek help and to seek support, let's do that through these two episodes. I have a wonderful guest and she's going to share her experience. Stephanie Thompson is the creator and founder of Brave Mama. Before Brave Mama, she was a teacher, a triathlete, and a small business owner. What is she doing now? All that has changed, but why? Stephanie is also an author and the book title is what we're talking about in these two episodes. The title of her book is The Day My Vagina Broke. This is a very, very important topic. Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining us. Stephanie, welcome. I'm so, so excited and honored to have you here with me today and all of our listeners. I am so honored to be here with you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And I'm kind of also curious a little bit about your, your past. I mean, yes, you've been a teacher. And small business owner, but you've also been a triathlete. Yes. Later in
1: life. Yeah. yeah, late, later in life, which is quite funny because in my early 20s, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider myself to ever enjoy exercise. And then a life event happens, and then all of a sudden you pivot and change. And for me, I, I went through a cancer treatment for a year. And at the end of it, all I could picture was myself like running out of the hospital ward Mm -hmm. and never looking back. And I think that's where I wanted to start running. But at that same time, I was like, well, I could get really bored quickly with that. What else could I do? And okay, I could cycle and swim at the same time. And then that kind of kept my interest. But it was just that life is too short. Mm. You now need to go and live every single day like it's your last and triathlon just kind of fitted very nicely in there.
0: That's quite, um, I find it so fascinating because I don't know if, of course, we never know, but I don't know if anything could ever make me pick that. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to hear when someone finds that that's their their path. I mean, I thought it was great when I just started cycling. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. that to me was a lot. <laughs> it is. So kudos to you. And of course, you had, and I, I'm not downplaying at all, you had a very special and unique um purpose getting out of the hospital and and really finding your new path so
1: mm. and i'm really grateful for it i know that sounds funny to some people I'm like what you're thankful you for that. cancer you
0: hear I that really, though you hear, all the time mm. you hear that it's it, true our, our greatest lessons i i've often asked you know mother universe why does it have to be our hardest mm. turmoils that, that hold
1: the greatest lessons. Agreed. I think I know the answer for that. For me, if you don't mind me sharing, no, please. Because the lessons I was being sent prior to getting sick, I wasn't listening. I oh. felt like I was getting nice <laughs> little taps on the shoulder to calm down, settle down, stop being so uh, like stressed in my career as an early teacher and stop working so hard it doesn't mean by working hard you're actually getting any better it just meant that you were getting more stressed and I wasn't listening I just kept pushing through I just kept thinking well if I just work that little bit harder I'll get to here and then when you got to there and then you go to the next level and then it's like there was just never any stopping And I think cancer made you go whoa you didn't listen That was yep. the two by four, That finally up to the side of the head. Yeah. You're now stopping if you like it or not. So I think they are hard, but that's because we're not attuned. Well, we never taught how to, to be fair. True. Never taught how to listen and to be aware. Uh, you know, 40, 20 years on now in my 40s, I'm like, oh, that's what it was. Retrospect is really easy to look back and say, okay, okay, I got it. I got it.
0: Could have listened. Because now I find, <clears throat> do you find that after having been through and not listening to the signs, now you're really in tune to listening to the signs or paying attention?
1: I think I got a few more lessons first. Uh, now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a few more hard lessons in between that it, it's taken a lot. I wasn't a good listener, clearly, because I keep oh, getting- Oh, I can so
0: relate. <laughs> <laughs> I can so relate. <laughs>
1: Little stubborn here. (laughs) Same, same. I get it now. I listen now. And it's a very new thing. So it's still adjusting. Still practice. You know, yes, yes. I love that. It is a practice that you need to continue to get better rather than think I need to just get it right now. Letting go. Yeah. It's really, really hard. It is. We are so conditioned. I'm just going to flip
0: this on because I feel like I'm looking at myself in the darkness. Okay. There. Um, we're so conditioned to just keep that pace, that forward motion and worry about things that just, my mother used to always say to me, well, she's, she's still here. So she still says it, but if most, as I was going through each generation, you know, 10 years going up to high school and then being in my twenties mm-hmm. and thirties, she would always say "But every 10 years, you're going to worry less about stuff that's not important we're going to figure it out with each bracket and and she's right I mean we still have stuff and then of course the world throws stuff at us but we begin to see things from a different perspective I think as we age and you know we'd love to have it in our 20s but I don't know if we'd appreciate it then
1: (laughs) I agree it would be interesting wouldn't it how could we transfer it to our children because we obviously want to protect and love them and not have give them the hard path that we did but then would they really understand it so maybe it it can only come to us at those certain brackets like your mom very wisely said because we can handle it then
0: yeah Hmm. well that sounds like a whole other podcast episode i know (laughs) (laughs) but What I really am looking forward to hearing you talk about today, because it's something that I am just not familiar with.
1: Uh And
0: I have been through, um, as I mentioned before I hit record, I had been through my own pre childbirth. I had difficulty getting pregnant because I had started perimenopause quite early. Uh And there are things that surround getting, uh, trying to get pregnant, being pregnant, and then after childbirth. And you suffered a traumatic childbirth injury that really changed your body and your life forever. So I would love to have you share your experience and explain to us, you are the founder and creator and carrier of Brave Mama, and you have a <laughs> podcast, The Lowdown. That's right. That's- but what brought you to that <clears throat> what I'd really like to have you explain. And also, I think the title of your book Mm. really says it all, um, which is The Day My Vagina Broke. Mm. So can you talk to us? Oh, there are other women out there that are suffering with these, and they're just trying to get through it on their own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think similar to you, there's a backstory. So obviously from cancer treatment, there were talks of being, you know, having fertility issues. So like you, I saw an IVF specialist to fall pregnant. It took five years to fall pregnant with Elsie. So it just kind of gives you a little bit of context as to when I was pregnant, I was really scared. I was just, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety but it's, an, it's another layer that we weren't allowed to talk about. It was that women's secret business of you just get on with it. So that's basically what we tried to do. And it was a very private, intimate time for my husband and I because we were both fearful knowing that we weren't allowed to talk about it. So we kept it very close to our chest. What I know now, because Elsie's nearly eight, is that from the very conception almost, that level of stress and anxiety potentially could have contributed to the reason why I had such a difficult labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain that a little bit further down the track. But in a nutshell, pregnancy for me, I I quite enjoyed it. I'm one of those very lucky women who didn't have a lot of issues. I I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which for me as a triathlete surprised me. I thought it was something that only potentially unhealthy people have, but it does not discriminate. It just, you just either have it or you don't. And it's the way that your body reacts to pregnancy. So I was able to manage that with very strict diet and exercise. And I thought I was doing really well. And I wanted the perfect pregnancy and the perfect childbirth. And I wanted to be the perfect mom. And I wanted to bounce back and go back to being an athlete. I had it all planned out, Kath. Of course, as we do. <clears throat> so I think a lot of the trauma part really presents itself when your picture and the way that you had it planned doesn't work out and what and your reality is very far from that I think that's where the trauma lies because the I'm not too sure what it's like in the US but here in Australia there's a really strong push for natural childbirth advocacy. And I say that in parentheses, meaning vaginal childbirth. Mm -hmm. So cesarean section birth is not favoured. And the model of care that women go into here in our public hospital system is with midwifery care, which means that you don't even, you're not even a candidate for a cesarean section. You certainly can't choose one in a public hospital. If you want to go down that path, you need to find mm. a, pr- a private obstetrician and pay for it.
0: Wow. I've never heard
1: that. Interesting. Right? <clears throat> Neither did we. So we didn't even understand how our own healthcare system worked in the place where we live. <laughs> mm. So basically the entire pregnancy was always talking about vaginal childbirth. It's going to be beautiful, organic. You know, they taught you how to light, can- how to, you know, set the mood by putting on candles finding the right playlist, having a good supply of snacks, and just when you go into the, um, the delivery suite, they turn the lights off. So it's drugs. No drugs. Holy. Right? This is what I'm saying. This is, And I, I say this term, we were told and sold this method as being like the best option for you and your baby because it's natural. And women should just let their bodies do what they have to do. And, you know, like, I'm a woman, hear me raw, that type of ideology. And for me, when you are told that in a very, I guess oh, I was very, you know, vulnerable place, of course you put your hand up for that. Of course you don't put your hand up for a traumatic or a, you know, um, medical procedure because that's not given as much. I guess, positivity. Okay. So the labor itself started exactly as planned. Candles on, music playlist, in the bath, no drugs, just breathing through. And, and even to the point where you weren't allowed to call them contractions. Seriously? So, yep. they they called surges to meeting your baby. That's This was the language used. Well, I can understand trying to create that mental strength, but okay, go ahead. Even to the point where I just will never forget, they said, you just have to visualize your your vagina opening up like a lotus flower and the baby kind of just trickling out. So I was thinking that 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 was going to happen. And so when it didn't happen, it went from being in the bath and I was kind of joking to my husband and saying, is this it? This is pretty easy. Wow, like we can do anything to that moment going from that to having lights on room full of five people, doctors, specialists, you know, kind of legs in stirrups and I'm like, what is going on? I had been laboring for a very long time, and I was very fatigued. I remember standing and my legs just shaking. they just couldn't hold me and asking my midwife like what's going on what's happening and her saying nothing you're fine but i just in my mind was going it wasn't if i was fine why are you all in here mm-hmm. right i didn't believe it i didn't have i then lost trust in that moment ultimately elsie was born with a cascade of interventions including a vacuum um, so right. suction vacuum, they yes. tried to rotate her because she was posterior. She was coming out the wrong way. Um, a, a, a pesiotomy, so they cut from the front of the opening of my vagina through to the back, and then they used forceps delivery to get her out. And at that point, as a mum, you just want to see that baby alive. Yeah, absolutely. So you, there is no choice, and you cannot think. You absolutely cannot make an informed decision at that moment. And so it happened and they said, okay, we just need to do some slight stitching. Hmm. And she was on my chest and I guess the moment we had pictured didn't happen. I just remember looking at her and thinking, what, like, what are you and what just happened? I think we were in shock. I'm
0: sure that would be pretty normal, I would think, going through something like that.
1: Yes. And it, it only really we got when we got to look at the photos because in the room they still are pretending like everything's normal and lovely and someone else is taking photos for you. And there's a picture, there's a picture of Elsie who's on my chest. And there's obviously blood when you have a vaginal birth, but the blood was quite significant and it wasn't from me. The suction cap had turned torn the skin off her scalp when it had failed and in fact her bones are formed they're deformed in her scalp now because of it and it's just from that moment I lost trust in everyone who was charged for caring for me because even when yes because when we address things that we didn't know what we were even saying like what what's this on her head and very dismissed I do remember saying to the obstetrician, look at her head. Like she's got this boggy patch. It looks like her scalp's deformed. And his reply, Kath, was just don't let her shave her head when she's 15 because it'll look oh, ugly. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> like, who says that? Who says that? Who says to that? a new mum who has come and paid a lot of money to see a specialist for her daughter's head and is just told to not let her shave her head because of the appearance. Like, and basically, that is in a nutshell, it felt like they were the conversations we were having. Nothing about, oh, wow, that, you know, I wonder how that's sitting for you, knowing that, that the hospital caused that to your baby and it was stuck and all the things. Like, not, no one ever considered that element. So I think for, I want to say, and it's hard to remember because trauma does a beautiful thing. It lets you forget some things. Isn't it, you know, within that first two years, we just felt like medical appointments back to back for me, for baby, trying to find out what happened, but no one was forthcoming with any information. And I was suffering, as you said, in your intro, it changed my life forever because it changed my body forever. The damage caused during that labor to me, um, I'll try and explain it in very simple terms because I understand it now, but at the time I didn't even, some of the words I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. (laughs) The forceps, it's believed when they tried to use the forceps to get the baby out, any muscle that was in the way, fascia, tissue, was torn away from my pelvic bone which resulted in that basically when you have your pelvic floor all of your organs sit in the pelvic floor your bladder your bowel and your uterus they can no longer stay there because there's no muscle and fascia underneath like the hammock was torn away that they all kind of slide down the vaginal canal now hence why I wrote the book, The Day My Vagina Broke. Yes, it's actually my pelvic floor that broke, but that won't get attention. We know that. It's a very deliberate thing to do, to be like, hey, this, this happens in childbirth. And so the organs can't stay there anymore. And gravity, as you know, when you're standing up during the day, every single day they fall down. It's very uncomfortable, painful life-changing in the way that, you know, at 35, I became incontinent, you know, both urinary and fecal incontinence, couldn't carry my baby, couldn't do all the things, couldn't even walk to my letterbox, let alone go and run a marathon or, or do anything in that triathlon space. I would say when someone first said to me, I think you have pelvic organ prolapse, my response was a pro what? What is that? Like, what's a pelvic organ? (laughs) And I guess it adds that layer of, you feel really stupid. Like, how do I not know this? And this is my body. I'm an educated woman. How do I not know the difference between that and that? And I think that's where the trauma comes from. Hmm. You feel blindsided and a bit like, what was that? That's not what the birthing books told me. That's not what they said in birthing classes, and therefore, you feel like you've failed childbirth, number one. And number two, like you're the only person. So you again, you are you recluse and you live in silence and you say nothing. So you pretend to the outside world, "Oh, I'm a new mom, I love this. It's amazing. But yet it's not. And We're it's really day. hard every day, every day. And you feel the co- you, you, it's hard to even have a conversation with your partner and your closest people because it's such a private and intimate part of your body that we are taught not to talk about. So we don't. Right. And my heart goes out to your
0: husband, too, because he must have felt so helpless with you going through that and him not having to. And let's face it no control just making sure that you were going to be safe and the baby was going to be safe and then he probably felt just as helpless afterwards too um i, I just can't it, imagine
1: it was a real mess and probably now only from i want to say the last couple of years or since the book was published We've been able to talk a little bit about it, but it's taken a long time and we're only probably just scratching at the surface because it's hard to talk about something you don't even have the words
0: for. Yeah. And when you don't have the complete understanding yourself, it's so hard and adding all the the trauma still left over and the emotions, I, I can only imagine how difficult it must have been and still be for you to really discuss it thoroughly.
1: Yeah, even with professional help, like I've seen lots of professional um, support for me, not so much for him, maybe a little bit, but not about the birth. There was the lack of support systems. <clears throat> there just isn't any. It all have to be here. You need to privately fund anything like that. There isn't even a birthing debrief. Afterwards, we were just told, oh, you did a great job. And we looked at each other like, huh, what? that's not a great they still
0: came to you and said great job
1: mm-hmm. the very next morning I remember it was my midwife's. was her boss and she came in and she congratulated me she gave me a hug she good over the baby oh my god she's so beautiful no I was thinking mm, look at her head I'm not sure about that and um and then just say congratulations and see you later. And I was sent home. She was sent home with pain medication because of her head, because it was probably very much in pain. But mummy, who was incontinent and in a world of pain, got nothing. I didn't even get checked. Not even an explanation,
0: let alone taking care of you physically. Not one thing. That's That's just... And, and and I don't know why, I guess I'm more surprised <clears throat> that I would like to hope that things are different elsewhere than, but I, it sounds like medical care oh. is not the same in many places as it used Ag- to
1: be. Agreed. And w- it was probably, it was the catalyst really for writing the book and creating the community because when I found out that I wasn't alone, that's and next then in question. fact, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You already, you're answering it. Is that when I found out that it didn't just happen to us and it wasn't like an anomaly, like a, you know, it was bad luck, it was a bad day, or it was because of the baby. When I found out that in fact, it happens to so many women, it's very, very common and women have no, knowledge or power going into it I was angry I was so angry I had been working in public education my whole life so the advocacy piece of like that's not fair that's not okay it it grew inside me to the point like well do something Stephanie you cannot sit on this and know that this happened to you and you felt blindsided because guess what one day your little girl may want to have a pregnancy and a baby and you cannot let that happen for her I
0: just I'm amazed so obviously there is I'm getting a little bit of interference I think at my end I don't think it's you okay and I don't not sure why they might be doing some work out front so apologies on that we'll do a little editing <laughs>
1: Sure if it freezes I'll just we can just hold off and then keep going that's totally fine. Okay. Um, so you found there are other women. I guess my question is when you
0: say and now that you're really telling me <clears throat> and I'm getting more of an understanding is this you said it's happening to many more women but why is it happening is it all circumstances based on what you what you went through or is there a
1: natural occurrence or is this all man made
0: man caused? Mm.
1: I think that's a really good question and there's multiple layers. I'll answer it the best I can from a patient voice because I'm not a medical professional, but this is just what I've learned because I'm very passionate about understanding it. And my understanding is there's two separate things here. So the way that Elsie was delivered with forceps, vacuum and episiotomy is very common Probably more now than ever before, because women are having babies older. This is mm. this is what I was this is what I've been told. Because I was thirty five, I was actually um, categorized as a geriatric first time mum. That was the term. <laughs> Best okay (laughs) geriatric okay sure um where our fascia and our tissues are much older than say a 20 year old who is in the prime of labor and delivery this is historically right the added complexity of having gestational diabetes again this is what i was told that if you have gestational diabetes the babies are generally bigger than if you didn't have diabetes okay so she was born at four kilos which is what over 10 pounds I think Wow. yeah so <clears throat> the next thing I learned along that journey is mm, this is a hard pill to swallow the fact that I was an athlete probably meant that my pelvic floor going into pregnancy and childbirth had some level of dysfunction already, Hmm. meaning it was potentially too tight. So when you labor and delivery, your pelvic floor and your anatomy need to stretch and move. But if you have a tight pelvic floor, it doesn't move. It's very rigid. And so it can't relax. It can't let baby down. So with every contraction, she was trying to come down, but my pelvic floor was like, nope. like concrete
0: is there a solution for that if someone knows ahead if if an athlete knows she's going to get pregnant is there
1: exercise yoga something that yes there's so much you can I now know that you can do you can even have a a pelvic floor women's physiotherapist do it a manual release of your pelvic floor Mm -hmm. internally to allow it to move that um the next thing Obviously, also during cancer treatment, having chronic vomiting and constipation is a risk factor. So Mm -hmm. now the second element of pelvic organ prolapse, yes, while the number one cause is having a pregnancy and vaginal childbirth that puts you at potential risk, but there are many women who still have prolapse who have never had a baby. Really? Yeah or even women who have had cesarean section birth. What Is, is, it, is, it, is
0: it something that happens, I, because this is twofold, you said that have never had a birth, so how is it happening? But then is it the happening right after the C-section is, ha- has happened, or is it down the road?
1: It could happen at any point. Really? So we've got, which we now know in our community, women who are 20 years old, who have never had a pregnancy, experiencing prolapse. Because the risk factors for pelvic organ prolapse include, yes, pregnancy and vaginal childbirth, but the tightness of your pelvic floor. So we do have a lot of uh, you know, professional dancers, gymnasts, horse riders who have these extremely tight pelvic floors where the organs just cannot stay because there's no movement. Another risk factor is chronic constipation or vomiting as a child if you so now I teach my children to not not put pressure if they if they need to go to the bathroom we actually teach them how to do some breath work on the toilet so that you're not straining Mm -hmm. Um, diet and exercise is another element so it is being said that if a woman is obese the the risk of prolapse because of the 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 intra-abdominal pressure from the top Mm -hmm. Causes it to fall down. Um, it can be hereditary. So if you are a woman who have had um, connective tissue disorders, that can be passed down through our lineage. Um, yeah, there's this there's, there's it's more than just one thing. It's almost like there's multiple layers of pelvic floor dysfunction that you can have from a very young age and not even know it because you can't feel it until it gets to, uh, you know, like a higher grade. There's four grades, so grade one, two, three, and four. A grade one and two, you may never even feel it. You may never even know that your organs have descended a little bit. And generally at that, those two stages, you can reverse it, which is great with pelvic floor physiotherapy, with focusing on your lifestyle. Stage three and four, is more like me when it feels very broken and the organs live in the vaginal canal and your vaginal walls have collapsed like everything just kind of goes down and then it's not the organs on the outside it's actually the vaginal wall it's your organs pushing them out and then it lives on the outside that happens to so many women so many women and yes there's potential treatments, including, you know, the use of pessaries, which is a plastic, uh, sorry, a silicone device that you can insert to try and hold it up. But for women like me who have had that damage from forceps, mm-hmm. there is, there's no shelf anymore. There's no shelf for the pelvic organs to sit on. So, so that you can't create a hammock type thing. There are some people who are candidates for surgery. Surgery is a whole nother podcast. It really is a beast because the the spaces that we're in, some women who have been lucky to have an amazing surgeon who have done a great job say, oh, I wish I did it sooner. But there also are a lot of women who said, I wish I never had this done. It's Mm -hmm. made my life more complex. Wow. So sometimes by stitching it back up, there's complications and issues, and then they become incontinent. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a real beast. And I had gone down the surgery path because I can't live like this. I cannot continue my life like this. Got to the point of pre-surgery testing. And it was then after that, he has said to me, I'm really sorry, but I, you're not a candidate for this. If I give you this surgery, there is a 93% chance that it will relapse within two years.
0: Well, kudos for him for being honest. At least you're getting some
1: information
0: yeah. that you weren't given yes.
1: him before. It was a hard drive home. He he lives. He works about two hours away. And I just remember driving home, shoving McDonald's fries in my face, just going, oh, my life is over. This was going to be the light at the end of the tunnel and now it's gone. And um, it was a hard day. But yes, I'd much rather have done that than had gone through a full hysterectomy at 35 and and had this surgery in it to, to come back anyway. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a lot.
1: yeah, but you have another child? I do. Yes, I do. It's still the number one question I'm asked. How did you go and have another baby with prolapse? And um or why? Why did you have another baby with prolapse is probably another question. And for us, my husband and I were totally satisfied that once Elsie came into this world, that we were one and done. One baby, we had finished. That was enough trauma for a lifetime. And it was actually coming back from that surgical appointment. And I picked her up from my mom's house and she was sitting in the window. She was only, I want to say seven months old. And I looked at her and I'm like, oh, wow, we've never considered her in this equation. For our family, like, what if she would have loved a sibling? It, it never even, it wasn't even a thought for us. We, we were just like, no, that's it, we're done. And I, when I said that to my husband, he looked at me and he's like, oh, yeah, we, we couldn't ask her. She's too young, obviously, but it just gave us a different perspective on maybe we need to think about this a little bit more. And I think ultimately we got to the point where she was turning one. So it was October. And I said, you know what? We can't wait another five years because it took five years to have her. I'm not having another baby at 40 because that's, I can't live like this for that long. We said, okay, if we're not pregnant by the end of the year, that's it. We'll just call it. And then that's it. And then as, as the planets aligned, I was pregnant the very next month with oh. my son, mm-hmm. who now it's easy to look back and go, yes, it was meant to be. They are 22 months apart and extremely close as siblings. Nice.
0: And hopefully they always will be. It's such a beautiful thing yeah. to see them be as they grow and age and <clears throat> become adults and still have that friendship.
1: Yeah, yes, I do hope so. I hope that bubble never bursts because right now it's beautiful. At this age, at five and seven, they, they're best mates. And both my husband and I had siblings who were much older than us. And we, we, we felt lonely and we didn't want that for her. So I think we did the right thing, basically. And I think pregnancy with him was stressful because I was always thinking, can I carry a baby full-term with prolapse? Interestingly, though, I would really love to share. Please. I found a private obstetrician this time. I was like, I think naturally when anyone experiences trauma in this part of their life, like camp A, they'll naturally run towards the opposite. All the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we were blessed to be able and privileged enough to be able to source a private obstetrician and pay for the level of service and support that I needed to get me through that. There was a lot of work that went into that. And he said to me, you'll probably find that in your second trimester of your pregnancy, as you grow, as your belly grows out, your uterus and your pelvic organs will probably naturally go up because it's just the way it works. And it did. I had great relief from prolapse symptoms for the second and third trimester, probably not towards the end. Um, And it felt great. I was like, wow, I could just be pregnant forever.
0: (laughs) It's so wonderful to hear that that was the case because you got to enjoy the pregnancy.
1: I did.
0: I did. And and maybe a little less fear once you learned that. I was
1: still really stressed about the labor and delivery because oh, yeah, I was, part, yes, I was adamant I that I wanted a cesarean section birth this time. I was like, there's no way I can birth again. I, and again, with the help of that amazing obstetrician, he guided me through that, through the nine months and said, sure, we can do a cesarean section but it could actually give you different levels of complication because we'll be cutting. And he explained what a cesarean section birth was. He said, ultimately, you've had a lot of damage to your pelvic floor. This should make it easier for baby to come out. Hmm. And in my mind, I was like, well, hang on a minute. If the baby's up here in my tummy and the prolapse is down here, isn't it going to act like a plug? Isn't he going to get yeah, that's stuck? What I'm picturing. <laughs> And it was a simple conversation for him to say to me, well, what we do is we empty your bladder, we'll catheterize, we'll lay you on your left-hand side, the bladder will and your organs will fall out of the way, thanks to gravity, baby will come out. And that's exactly what happened. It, It played out exactly how we had talked about. And I always knew in the back of my mind, If something happened, if he got stuck or if mentally, emotionally, I was not coping, I could say, right, let's do it and have a cesarean. So I had that kind of plan A, plan B reassurance that I was actually going to be okay no matter what happened.
0: It's wonderful that you found this obstetrician. What a blessing he was.
1: Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yes. I found him by accident actually, but he was always meant to be in our life for sure.
0: And you're referring everyone to him now, I suppose. A
1: hundred percent. I am. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually stumbled across him in the aftermath of Elsie's birth at the public hospital um, because he had to see me after with my complications. And then he left that hospital because of what was happening to women at that time in childbirth and started his own private practice. And then I found him, I tracked him down I was to like, find you.
0: Well, I'm so glad. Surely not yeah. as much as you and your husband are, but I'm so glad you were able to find someone like him. Um, this is definitely, I'm going to ask you if we can do a part two, because I think there is just so much oh, more into course. this. Um, yes. But can you tell me how you feel
1: now? How do you feel today? I'm glad you asked that. Because it's really important to let people know that even though I've had this traumatic experience and even though I still live with pelvic organ prolapse every day, I still have been able to do so much inner work to live the most fulfilling and best life I possibly can. If anything, my, like my reference to cancer, I was lucky to have it. I almost feel like that now too. It's taken a long time to get to this point, but I said to my husband the other day, actually last night, I'm lucky we've got this because what it meant was simple things, simple, simple things like yesterday. I got a call from my school at my daughter's school and she wasn't feeling well. And so I went down and I picked her up and I brought her home. And I said to him, had this not happened, I would be back at work full time Mm. in a location setting where I wouldn't be able to get her. I wouldn't be able to bring her home and nurture her when she was unwell. So, yes, while I don't love that I lost my career after 20 years, I couldn't be a triathlete, I couldn't do my small business anymore with my best friend, what I get now is an opportunity to be with her and because of the afternoon, my symptoms are quite intense. We laid down on the couch and watched a movie together. And that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This, is the, this is that constant tap on the shoulder reminded to slow down, take it a, take it back a notch. <laughs> it's like, okay, thank you, universe. I got, you. I got the message. Okay, I got it now. And I'll toot your horn a little bit
0: too, because in, we, we've been in <clears throat> the same circle for a couple of years now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so I've had some exposure and, and an opportunity to watch and listen and see what you're doing, and mm-hmm. you're helping a lot of women, a lot of women, and I do believe you even had some recognition for that. Not that that's what you're looking for, but I just want people to understand that you're really on a mission <clears throat> that even though that others are going through this and it's traumatic for them, having someone like you, <clears throat> excuse me, who's been through and mm-hmm. understands and knows what a support system and just energy that you have for these women. And that is just incredible.
1: It's, it's I feel like it's my purpose now. Great. It's It's my honor to represent these women in a way that they are so unseen and unheard by the medical professionals, by our lack of resources and education and research into pelvic organ prolapse, I mean women have been living with prolapse since beginning of time. And I've never heard of it. Right? They never used to use they used to use pomegranates and potatoes in their vagina to support their pelvic organs. And and even in some countries, once women have prolapsed their organs. Those women are shunned out of the community because they're no longer of use to do labour work. And so culturally, culturally, historically, this has been happening to women. And we're talking about one in two women can be affected. That's 50% of our female population. When someone says that to me, I think, how are we all not banging the drum? How know. are we not? <laughs> know. that's
0: why i'm 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 so now and totally aware that there is so much more to this. Mm. And we haven't even began begun to touch on it today. Um, mm. would you be willing to come back and continue this conversation so that we can really help to educate and support more women?
1: I would love to. I would love to. I tell you why, for, for two reasons. One, because I think the the conversation must continue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We can't just say, "Oh, here it is," and there's the book, and then that's it. We walk away because nothing has changed. And second of all, because quite often, once we do a podcast or I do a live event, it is not until a week later I'll get a private message in my, you know, Instagram and it says. Thank you so much. I couldn't say anything at that time. And I've told no one, but I don't feel alone anymore. And that's what we need to be letting women know and feel Yes, that this is not the end of the world. Prolapse does not mean the end of who you are. And help them navigate through it because a lot of women can reverse it. You can change it. It's not, it's not a death sentence.
0: And right? even prevent it And. In- probably many cases yes so those things we will get into in part 2 i love that i love so that i'm Advocacy. going to thank you so much for doing what you do because i mean that is the purpose of my podcast your life your way it's just to support women in finding whatever they can that's right for them to mm-hmm. live life on their terms and this is a huge part you know our health is so much a part of it we 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 have to Start to focus on that. I'm speaking of myself as well. You know, practice what you <laughs> preach. But thank you so much for being here today. And we will um, set a time. Yeah. And come back thank and, you. and pick this up where we left off because it's just too important not to.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: You're welcome. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for joining us today. And as I said, this is part one. We will be back for part two. Stay tuned please, 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 please share this episode. We need to bring women's issues more to the forefront. The issues that we are keeping quiet to ourselves about that we are at home thinking, you know, we're suffering alone. We don't want to bother others. We're afraid. We need to support each other more than we do. The more we talk about these things, the more we can find support and help. Please feel free to share. You may not know anyone going through pelvic, prolapse. However, the more we share this, it's going to cross someone's path who is suffering. No matter what country you're in, you can reach out to Stephanie. You can find her on Instagram. I will have her information in the show notes. Reach out to her. Help her. She can help you find some information, find maybe a better, a good path for you to find answers for yourself. Any other issues that we are at home hiding with? Let's bring them to the forefront. Let's talk about them. Let's start supporting each other in a deeper, more compassionate, empathic way. I appreciate you all. I'm so blessed and honored that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're in this community. Please take care of yourself. If you are at home feeling like you're suffering with something, please reach out to a friend, a family member, therapist, someone who can help you find your answers. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings.